It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. We're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you listen, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhood.com. Pizzeria.com or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's uh, for an authentic Italian meal. And speaking about going away to St. Simon's, going all the way to St. Simon's, when I do go, I like to drive. And when I drive, I got to stay at a hotel. I got to rest my tired head. And I only stay at one chain, and that's the Holiday Inn. My favorites, Holiday Inn Express and the Holiday Inn Resorts. But check it out. I can get you a discount. So if next time you're traveling, make sure you stay at a Holiday Inn property and take advantage of a Billy's Decent. Hey, Porky. Come on, man. Take advantage of the Billy C discount. Just call our toll-free number, 844-603-0364, 844-603-0364. Or just click the banner up on BillyCBoxing.com. You can get the discount there, too. And finally, our show today is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet. It's available right now where all good books are sold. You can get a copy while you're watching or listening to this show whenever that may be, uh, by visiting barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. And uh, looking for a signed copy? Don't worry about it. Just visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the book and follow the direction. Whoa, wait, you want more than one copy? Signed? <laughs> Don't worry. Just drop me an email, billy at talking boxing. I'll spell it for you, okay? It's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. And I'll hook you up with a special pricing on that. Uh, coming up a little bit later on the show, Boxing Hall of Famer uh, Larry Hazard. Uh, he'll stop by, give us his thoughts on uh, several issues. Uh, Alex Papali is going to present this week's blast from the past. Um, we didn't get to him last week due to some technical difficulties that uh, Alex was having on his side of the pond or his side of the state or wherever we want to talk to him. He's not on the other side of the pond, but he is on another state, in another state. Vitaly Klitschko, a new 2018 uh, Boxing Hall of Famer. So we'll talk about uh, Vitaly's uh, uh, career, uh, obviously a former world uh, heavyweight champion. Um also, uh, I got some emails to read. We got some news. But the biggest news, of course, 
is uh, concerning the two biggest fights that have yet to be signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we're talking about Deontay Wilder uh, fighting Anthony Joshua and, of course, Triple G fighting Canelo. Now, let's start off with the heavyweight uh, topic. I, I just want to say, you know, it's funny. I I've been honest with everybody uh, telling you guys uh, uh, the way the sport is going. Uh, not so much the quality of the fights because I, I like the fights that we've been watching. And for the most part, I like uh, most of the fighters that are active today. And I see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, positive things with some young fighters coming up. Uh, but the way the fans uh, look at the, the sport today and what their acceptance levels are uh, and the way the business is being conducted, it's, it's very hard, at least for me, uh, to stay with it. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, I've been involved in this sport for uh, almost 37 years. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, is that I've seen the, the peaks and valleys uh, of the sport. And one of the most common things uh, that people say to me, their their most common line when, when, you know, you start chatting or whatever and they find out what you do, I get this, I used to be a big fan of boxing. I used to be. And, you know, I, I hear it so often. And with people, uh, you know, my age or, or slightly younger or whatever, it seems to be, I used to be when Mike Tyson was around, when Mike Tyson left, you know, I left the sport. But when you go to talk to other people, they're like, well, there's too many titles. You can't follow it anymore. It's not enough on TV. Uh, the fighters themselves, blah, blah, blah. And I can relate. I can relate to uh, some of the things like this. Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua have been on a collision course, okay? Um, just to catch you up uh, in case you've been living under a rock somewhere. Uh, Deontay Wilder uh, offered... Now, it wasn't an unofficial offer. It was through social media, but nonetheless, in Deontay Wilder's mind and his team's mind and the minds of a lot of young fans, he made an offer to Anthony Joshua to come to the United States and fight for $50 million. Anthony Joshua had made a statement prior to that saying, give me $50 million and I'll fight him tomorrow. Um... There was no physical contract. Uh, there was no uh, details, etc., uh, etc. Et Nonetheless, and by the way, Deontay Wilder uh, really doesn't have a promotional company that could afford uh, fifty million. Although there had been rumors saying that their money was justified, they did have backers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So whichever side of the fence you're on, whatever. Um, it was announced yesterday uh, that uh, Deontay Wilder has agreed to the terms offered by Anthony Joshua's camp uh, to fight later this year in the UK. Apparently, that was one of the stumbling blocks. Um, Shelly Finkel, who's part of Deontay Wilder's team, uh, had this to say, and I quote, We have agreed to the terms that Eddie, meaning uh, Eddie Hearn from uh, Matchroom Boxing, uh, has put out to us for a fight in the UK. Deontay has accepted the terms to fight in the UK. Deontay sent an email to Anthony Joshua Sunday night, and I, meaning Shelley Finkel, sent one to Barry Hearn on Monday, and telling Eddie that we officially accept the offer to fight under the terms they had given us and to send us the contract. 
Now we will see if they will live up to it or if they'll try to go through with the fight uh, with their mandatory challenger, which is Alexander Povetkin for the WBA portion of Anthony Joshua's belts. Uh, first, hopefully, we'll get an answer in the next few days. If they change their minds, the $50 million offer uh, is offered, which also against 50% of the event, we offered them uh, to come to the United States is still on the table. That is still for them if they want it. Um, apparently, according to Team Wilder, the, the main holdup of them accept, accepting the fight was where it's going to take place. Uh, Wilder wanted it in Vegas. Uh, Anthony Joshua wanted it in England. I personally felt it should go to England, etc., etc. whatever you want to say. Um, uh, Shelly Finkel said that the target date is September 15th. However, uh, the fight could uh, be stretched out into uh, October or November because of the possibility of Canelo Alvarez fighting Triple G or someone else on that date that they've already secured uh, in Las Vegas, which personally I don't think should matter because to be perfectly honest with you, I think that Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder would exceed uh, the, uh, the buys that would uh, take place for Canelo against whoever, whether it's Triple G or Daniel Jacobs. But we'll get to that a little bit later on the show. Uh, Finkel didn't specify what kind of money Deontay Wilder would be making from the offer that they are allegedly accepting. But he said uh, there's no percentage. Now, now just so you know, um, they had offered 12.5 million. Uh, Deontay Wilder poo-pooed it. The last offer that was publicized was a $15 million uh, guaranteed purse, uh, which we don't know if uh, they accepted that or if there had been another number thrown at them. Uh, but he said, Shelly Finkel went on to say, there's no percentage split, but they've offered us a good guaranteed purse. Not as good as we feel it should have been, but we want this fight and we're willing to take what they offered. We wanted a percentage, but we didn't think we could get it done in quick uh, in a quick enough time frame. So we said, let's take what they're offering us because Deontay Wilder uh, wants to fight. Uh, Wilder, uh, once again, uh, communicating through his social media, uh, said uh, it's in uh, uh, AJ's hand, etc., uh, etc. Et um, one of the uh, issues that are also being discussed is that uh, Eddie Hearn is considering putting this fight on uh, Daznan, D-A-Z-N, their sports streaming service that they had announced of several weeks ago that they signed a long-term deal with uh, to have this fight uh, on uh, a streaming service, which I think would be stupid. All they got to do is just look at the Terrence Crawford, uh, Jeff Horn numbers to see how that worked for them. And that was a ESPN uh, streaming service. You know, nobody here in the States uh, really knows anything about uh, Dazen, D-A-Z-N. Um but uh, Las Vegas already has a uh, uh, an odds on the on the fight. Uh, you got to lay two hundred to win a hundred if you put your money on Anthony uh, Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Right now, is uh, you're getting one hundred and seventy bucks for a hundred dollar bet, so it's plus one seventy. That's a good bet to place, boys and girls. I mean, uh, you know, he does have the uh, uh, power to uh, knock out Anthony Joshua. There's no question about that. Um, now, my man on the scene in England, uh, Johnston, of course, as usual, gave us uh, some of the uh, 
uh, inside scoop of what's being said in England, uh, specifically from Eddie Hearn. So he sent me this. This is from Johnston. Uh, he said, uh, uh, according to Eddie Hearn, Eddie Hearn said, and I quote, the Povetkin deal is done or virtually done. It's extremely close. The Wilder fight is not, but we talk to them every day. It's just a case of we can get this fight done. Joshua would like to fight in September. The Wilder fight doesn't really work for us in September, mainly because of Canelo Alvarez uh, fight. Uh, Joshua does want to fight Wilder next. If uh, that fight does get signed, it will take place in October or November. Uh, if AJ has to fight Povetkin first, that'll be in September. Uh, then uh, Wilder uh, would have to be uh, uh, after that. Uh, he also uh, said right after the uh, Deontay Wilder uh, social media announcement, he says, uh, for all you Anthony Joshua fans, uh, the $50 million offer for him to fight uh, me next is still available. Today I even agreed to the offer to fight uh, Joshua uh, next in the UK. This is uh, Wilder's uh, tweet. Uh, if he prefers to fight in the UK, uh, the ball's in their court. Uh, I told you what Shelly Finkel said. He said we agreed to terms, etc., uh, etc. Et and then uh, uh, Eddie uh, uh, Hearn followed up and said, uh, listen, I spoke to uh, AJ and Rob McCracken, and uh, we obviously uh, all saw Deontay Wilder's social media and got uh, Shelly Finkel's uh, emails. He says it's great that they've come back to us. The truth is we made the offer four weeks ago, and I don't know uh, why it took so long for them to come back to us, but either way, he will have the contract in the next day or two. Uh, it's obviously the fight we want. There's a lot of sorting out to do for this fight, but the great news is, is that in principle, everybody seems to be on board to fight in the UK, and he's referring obviously to AJ against Deontay. He says, we'll see this fight as a Wembley fight, and uh, we're quite limited in that respect. Obviously, American TV and pay-per-view has to be considered. We got to speak to them about the dates. Uh, there's still a lot to work out. I think Wembley is where AJ wants the fight to take place. Obviously, a brilliant night uh, against Vladimir Klitschko. It seems to be his natural home. Our original plan was to do it in the middle of September, but obviously the Canelo fight on September 15th makes it a little more difficult with U.S. television, and the fact that we've lost four weeks in waiting for an answer from Deontay makes this fight uh, happening in 11 or 12 weeks uh, unlikely. If it's before Povetkin, then it runs on October and November. We got to get to the bottom of it all today. One thing I could tell you uh, is that by the end of this week, Deontay Wilder will have a contract in front of him, and we'll see if all this talk is real. Um, I, you know, I, I still don't know what to, to expect. Uh, you know, I, I, it always seems that Deontay Wilder's, um, you know, we want the fight, he doesn't want it with me, is always through social media. You know, I mean, at least the protocol for the sport of boxing, as far as I know, for the last 37 years has been, we want to see it in writing. And let's make it, let's, let's be real, boys and girls. The truth of the matter is, is even when there are signed contracts, things happen where the fight doesn't take place. You know, in, in a fight like this, I don't believe it until the bell rings for round number one. I mean, there has been cases where fights go all the way up and then they get canceled. Anthony Joshua, I mean, I'm sorry, Deontay Wilder himself was involved 
uh, with a fight that was canceled uh, a couple of days or even one day before with the Alexander Povetkin fight. The Alexander Povetkin fight, the mandatory that the WBA is putting pressure on Anthony Joshua for, you know, I'm convinced that, you know, Anthony Joshua's team could get the WBA to, uh, you know, let that fight slide. Uh, concerning a uh, unification with Deontay Wilder. So I'm not buying it. As much as I'm an AJ fan, I'm not buying that they have to fight Povetkin first. I'm not buying it. I think that if a contract is put in front of Deontay and he signs it, there's nothing else that Team Anthony Joshua could say uh, to uh, avoid fighting Deontay Wilder next. Now, whether or not this fight takes place in September or whether or not this fight takes place in October or even November, that's neither here nor there. They do have to take uh, and make uh, some plans uh, for television and, uh, you know, pay-per-view rights, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things uh, have to come into play. Uh, but the bottom line is it, it clearly sounds to me, whether you believe it or not, that, uh, that this fight is going to happen. And it may very well happen this year. Now, there's also been a lot of talk that, especially from uh, both sides, that not only has uh, Anthony Joshua kind of already have a contract in place with Povetkin, but Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. According to Brazil uh, several days ago, he says that our deal's already made. You know, I'm already the mandatory, which... It doesn't make sense because the WBC had said flat out that they're not making, uh, uh, you know, him a mandatory because in uh, in a sense, uh, what had taken place is Deontay Wilder had fulfilled his mandatory and he had, uh, I think, eight months or nine months to, to do a mandatory. So theoretically, if Dominic Brazil is his mandatory, he would have uh, until towards the end of this year. Uh, to fight him. So, and like all sanctioning bodies claim, the WBC is no different. Uh, they uh, kind of give priority to unification. So, you know, I, I think that this fight, uh, as much as we all want it, it, it's down to the nuts and bolts. Anthony Joshua has said uh, many times that he wants to fight. Deontay Wilder has said many times that he wants to fight. At the end of the day, we have to put everything that has transpired between the beginning of the desire for this fight till today aside. And now we say, okay, let's look at what happens from this day forward. All right. Uh, there's a contract that apparently Team Wilder has agreed to verbally. Uh, why they don't have a contract. I mean, let, let me just say this too. When you're negotiating for a deal, at least every negotiation that I have been involved with, the negotiation process starts with a contract. I say, I'm going to offer X, Y, Z. Here it is on paper. You want it? And then the other side might say, well, you know, uh, I like this part of it, that part of it, but not this part. This part I want X, you know, A, B, C. And they send it back. And they expect the person making the offer to do the modifications and send back a contract. And that's where the contracts go back and forth with modifications. Yes, I like this portion of it. No, I don't like that. I mean, that's the way it works. I've never heard where two sides are discussing a contract without a contract. So in other words, they're discussing stipulations within a projected contract. And then when the contract comes, then you have to dissect and say, wait a minute, that's not what I meant. I meant this. 
you know, you're writing it and it's worded like that. I want it worded like this, you know, and then that takes more time. I, it just seems funny to me that contracts haven't already been, uh, you know, given. Even Eddie Hearn made the statement, well, we gave him this deal four weeks ago. You know, now we'll make up the contract. I don't understand. You know, so I, they should have a contract today. They should have had a contract. You know, that contract should have already been made. And yeah, we agreed to it. Send us the official one. Okay, I'll buy that. I'll buy the fact that here, here's the items that's going to be in the contract that we're negotiating. You know, okay, all of this is good. I want this change. Finally, they say, okay, we'll change it. Send me the updated contract. Fine. Why does it take several days to do it? I mean, uh, you know, when you're talking about the money that's going to be made here, uh, why would it take several days to get that contract produced? Makes no sense. Either way, we'll keep you posted on that. And uh, ironically enough, just remember, uh, on Monday when we did a show, I said we'll be doing a show on Wednesday, and hopefully we'll have an announcement to make uh, on the two big fights. And uh, lo and behold, here we got one on that. And wait, there's more because I got another one. And that's concerning Triple G and Canelo. Uh, once again, uh, Golden Boy uh, Promotions, not Oscar De La Hoya, but the uh, president of Golden Boy, which is Eric Gomez, uh, who uh, uh, made a statement uh, yesterday. He says that uh, we made a uh, concession to Triple G. We are offering him uh, 57.5% goes to uh, Canelo versus 42.5% to Triple G. This is our final offer. He's got uh, until noon today, Wednesday, uh, to make a decision. Uh, that's Eastern time. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, that's Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, uh, to make uh, uh, his acceptance of this, to make this fight. Uh, Eric Gomez said, and I quote, this is final. We've been through everything. We've been through the hoops, the monkey bars, the slides, no more playing games. He, meaning Triple G, has until noon Pacific time to accept or walk away. If he walks, all we could say is good luck. Um, You know, the, the, the thing about this whole situation, which bothers me the most, isn't, I mean, yes, the fact that, that, that Canelo has been getting special treatment and he gets a slap on the wrist, you know, six-month ban, et cetera, et cetera, uh, not man enough, you know, Canelo not man enough, bold enough, be bolder, uh, not man enough to stand up and admit that, you know, uh, for whatever the case is, he he he, he tested positive. You know, uh, he still blames it on the the, the tainted meat. Uh, that's you know, I just can't stand how people today don't hold themselves accountable for their actions. At the end of the day, the fighter's accountable for anything. He should know, uh, regardless of if he wants to uh, play that I'm a dummy game. And I'm not suggesting that Canelo plays that, but you know, at the end of the day. The fighter is responsible. He's the one that's going to get suspended. He's the one that's going to get fined, etc. He's responsible to know uh, what he's putting in his system, what kind of workout methods, all that stuff a fighter should know. So to keep blaming it on the beef uh, is, uh, I got a beef with that, all right? Um, But the thing that bothers me the most is the fact that Golden Boy, not only the Prez, Eric Gomez, but specifically Oscar and Canelo, keep turning the tables and they're trying to paint Triple G as the victim. I mean, as the villain. And uh, and Canelo as the victim. You know, let's go back in time. 
the fight was signed, sealed, and delivered to have the rematch on May uh, 5th of this year. Uh, they started the testing, and lo and behold, in February, Canelo tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. Not one test, but two tests. All right? As a result, uh, the uh, gutless, spineless piece of garbage, Bob Bennett, uh, and the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, suspended him for six months. Eric Molina got two years, but uh, Canelo got six months, uh, and they started renegotiating for the fight in uh, September with uh, Triple G. Now, Triple G was pissed. This was a guy that trained and was ready, lost millions of dollars, continued with his fight to stay active, uh, fought against uh, Martiroshian, and then all of a sudden, uh, instead of uh, taking the original agreed-upon uh, 65-35 split, uh, Triple G says, no, I want 50-50 split. And you know, I kind of agree. You know, he was the guy that was the victim. You know, he was the guy that had to be put off. It, it, it was all Canelo's fault. But no, Golden Boy turns it around and they make it seem like it's Triple G who's the bad guy. So Triple G says, I want a 50-50 split, which seems fair to me. But uh, they said no. And uh, they offered 55-45. And uh, Canelo, uh, off, you know, his team offered 55-45. Triple G against his, uh, uh, you know, recommendation from his own team, uh, specifically uh, his promoter, he said, no, I want 50-50 split. And then that's when uh, Oscar said, forget it, the train left the station, uh, we're going to fight Daniel Jacobs, blah, blah, blah. Well, apparently the train didn't leave the station because their final, final offer uh, now is 57.5 to 42.5. Um, it's pretty close to the 55-45, um, but um, um, as, as a matter of fact, uh, it seems uh, a little uh, little weird. But uh, um, you know, I, I uh, the 55-45 was uh, Triple uh, G's counteroffer. Um, uh, Oscar was holding strong to 65-35. Um, you know, I, I can't see why this fight wouldn't take place at 57 and a half to 42 and a half. You know, 42 and a half percent, two and a half percent less technically than what the 55-45 split would be. Uh, get it done. I mean, you know, Triple G could get a moral victory here. Uh, you know, Canelo can get a moral victory. Oscar can feel like they still got the better end. All that stuff. Let's get this fight done. Let's take a break. I'll finish in a sec. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, before we went to break, we were talking about uh, the other part of the big news today uh, that we're discussing first and foremost, uh, allegedly uh, uh, Anthony Joshua 
is going to be sending an official contract to Deontay Wilder after Deontay Wilder's uh, co-manager, Shelly Finkel, uh, put out a, uh, a statement saying that they've accepted the terms. Um, again, I, I don't believe it till we have a signed contract, and I won't believe that until the bell rings for round one, number one. And uh, uh, the second point we were talking about just before uh, the break was the Triple G and uh, Canelo fight, which is, uh, uh, even though uh, uh, they said the offer has left the station, apparently the train had a uh, mechanical failure because it's still in the station, and uh, they gave uh, Triple G his final, final offer of uh, a strange split, uh, 57.5 to 42.5. 42.5 obviously going to Triple G. Um, They said that uh, uh, the ball's in Triple G's court, um, but they also feel, this is Golden Boy, feels that Canelo can still make between 20 and 30 million to fight Daniel Jacobs. And they feel that Triple G's options are sparse, that he does not have uh, the options to make the kind of money that he could make with Canelo. And this is their stance on that. And I'm not so sure that that's a true statement. Because the one thing that Golden Boy, you see, social media can work in two ways one way it works with with getting the fans uh you know fake news so to speak and you know getting people all jacked up for something that's really not official but on the other hand by saying stuff like that it could really hurt your cause and and ruin your bargaining power and you know that's kind of what happened with golden boy here you know daniel jacobs of course will take uh less money than triple g all right uh, Daniel Jacobs uh, uh, is, you know, uh, in a position where he would accept that. It would be feasible to him. But that doesn't mean he's an easier opponent for, for Canelo. That's a tough fight for Canelo. I, I think Canelo has reached his maximum potential. We're not going to see a better version of Canelo ever. As a matter of fact, assuming <clears throat> that he's been cheating for a while, uh, we may not even see as good of a, a version of Canelo in his next fight as we saw in his last fight. So, you know, I don't know if Canelo really wants Daniel Jacobs. I mean, at least with Triple G, he's an aging fighter, and he's fought him once before. He knows what he's going to get with Triple G. Not so much with Daniel Jacobs. Daniel Jacobs has, sh- has shown some versatility. As far as Triple G, well, now, in a sense... Uh, Golden Boy has shown their hand that they're targeting Daniel Jacobs. So that kind of leaves a negotiation possibility open for Triple G to fight uh, Billy Joe Saunders. And Billy Joe Saunders against Triple G in England could make some big bucks. Now, could he make $30 million, um, fighting uh, uh, you know, Billy Joe Saunders? I mean, he meaning Triple G. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I really don't. Uh, but he could certainly make uh, a lot of money fighting Billy Joe Saunders. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what a, what a smarter move for, for Golden Boy would be. You know, if he would have accepted the 55-45, had this fight signed, sealed, and delivered already, um, that may have been the smartest move for Golden Boy. Uh because if for some reason Triple G doesn't accept this uh, strange split, 57.5 to 42.5, uh, then uh, then he might get what he's asking for, a fight with Daniel Jacobs. 
And uh, I'm not so sure Canelo can beat Danny Jacobs. I, I'm really not. You know, Daniel Jacobs is uh, uh, is the type of fighter that uh, seemingly uh, is getting better and better. Uh, so we'll see what uh, see what happens with uh, uh, with that. You know, um, and uh, and remember something. Uh, there's a uh, uh, there's a uh, an issue uh, going on with uh, uh, with uh, uh, Daniel Jacobs, where um, you know he's in a, his management team aren't big fans of Golden Boy. Remember, yeah, we all know that he's a, uh, a, a, a Eddie Hearn fighter as far as a promotional deal, but one of his advisors is Al Heyman, and Al Heyman can't stand uh, Oscar De La Hoya. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with that whole thing. Um, but uh, anyway, um, we got a, uh, uh, a super chat from my man uh, Johnston, a guy uh, uh, in, uh, who gives us uh, um, our inside scoop over in England. And uh, I want to give a shout-out uh, to his son, Louis, who's uh, not feeling too well. He's uh, uh, not doing too well, and uh, we want to... Uh, uh, wish uh, Louie the best and a speedy recovery, Lou. Come on, man. You know, get up off the canvas. And uh, my man Johnston, you hang in there too because uh, uh, I know how uh, difficult it is. And when I say I know, uh, I had to uh, go through uh, something with one of my daughters that was a horrific experience and uh, brings me to tears, uh, you know, when I, when I think about it. So uh, in any event... Uh, uh, keep up, uh, keep up the good work, guys, over in England. So, um, specifically Louis, my man Louis. But uh, uh, in any event, um, you know these two fights. Uh, you know Anthony Joshua against uh, uh, Deontay Wilder, and of course Triple G against Canelo. Um, you know the truth of the matter is, is uh, they're the fights that this sport needs. You know, one of the big problems with the sport, like I was saying in the beginning of the show, is the fact that we don't get the big fights made quick enough. And this whole theory of the fights need to marinate. It's the same thing with, with Eddie Hearn. Oh, well, they, we lost four weeks, so, you know, having it in September might not be enough time to put it all together. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, I've promoted fights Obviously, never on this magnitude, okay? But I've promoted fights, and every promoter will tell you that they've went through the same type of thing. You get a fight date, gets all set up, you start promoting it, and something happens. Whether you have an injury, whether something, a catastrophe happens with the venue, and all of a sudden, a date changes, uh, a fight itself, the main event changes. I, I, you know, uh, I had uh, several times where a main event gets changed, um, and you got to roll with it. You know, you, you got to make a, an adjustment. You have to take care of it. Yeah, you, that's the business you're in. You're a boxing promoter. You know, to suggest that there wouldn't be enough time, let's even say that the contract gets in Deontay Wilder's hands. Let's, let's give him till Friday. You know, he gets the contract in his hands on Friday. And let's say that they can't sign it quick enough and uh, AJ doesn't get it back until Monday. So we're talking about, you know, a week goes by now you have signed contracts are you going to tell me that you know middle september first week in october is too soon to put this fight together get get out of here come on man this is a fight that doesn't need to marinate neither does triple g against canelo you know that's the one thing that pisses me off you know if you're talking about a fight i'll give you a good example a fight scheduled for this weekend errol spence jr against carlos ocampo 
right? It's a mandatory title defense for uh, Errol Spence. Does anybody really think that Ocampo has a shot at this fight? I mean, uh, come on. The, the, you know, your record, you are what your record says you are. You know, no disrespect to Ocampo. He's an undefeated fighter. He's never fought anybody like Errol Spence. He hasn't even fought anybody close to Errol Spence. You know, so, I mean, this fight's not going to be a challenging, competitive fight. No way, shape, or form is it going to be competitive. You know, they should have been marinating that fight. They should have been promoting it and getting it out there and trying to drum up some interest because most of the people feel the way I do, that it's not going to be a competitive fight. But when you have a fight like Triple G against Canelo, a rematch after a controversial draw, which most people that have half a brain all feel that Triple G won that fight, okay? And the other big fight in the most important division in the sport of boxing, when you have uh, Triple G with, against Deontay Wilder, you really think that that fight needs, you know, uh, 15, 16, 20 weeks of promotion to make it successful? Come on, man. That's a smokescreen. That's once again a promoter uh, trying to uh, take advantage. All I could say, boys and girls, especially to the younger fans, just look back in your memory banks and consider this. Floyd Mayweather against Manny Pacquiao was a fight that we wanted at least, most people say five, but let's give them the benefit of, benefit of the doubt, three years prior to when it actually took place. At least three years. A lot of people say five, and I wouldn't argue much with them, but I'm trying to be fair. Let's say three years, all right? Was was the outcome good? Did both fighters make a boatload of money? Did they get a lot of pay-per-views? Yes, 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 to all of those questions. But did we as the fans get treated to a fight that we expected three to five years earlier? Absolutely not. It was anticlimactic. It turned people off against the sport again. It made people swear they would never pay for a fight again, etc., etc., etc. When a fight is hot and when people want it, that's when the fight has to take place because then it keeps the doors open for other fights with these same combatants. You could have a rematch if the fight was good. You know, I, so what you end up with in the Pacquiao Mayweather situation, nobody wants to see that fight again because the first one was so bad. You know, make the fight happen. Make it happen when the fighters are in their prime, when they're at the peak of their careers, when they're in the upswing with uh, publicity and, and public uh, uh, notoriety. You know, take it then. Then, depending upon the fight itself, you could cash in more by having a rematch or have if there's something else that goes on that would add some flavor to it. You know, that's what you do. There's no sense in marinating. Listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're scheduled to have Larry Hazard join us. So uh, don't go anywhere. Billy C will be right back. Hey, fight fans. Check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters. Track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man. www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And tell them Billy C sent you. 
the one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. Because we want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C., the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at billycboxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, speaking about being with us, joining us right now is a Boxing Hall of Famer and New Jersey Boxing Commissioner, Larry Hazard. Good morning, Larry. Morning, Billy. I'm doing well, my man. I'm doing well. Uh, bunch of stuff to chat with you about. Let's start with the, uh, the big news, uh, part one. Um, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder saga continues. Uh, we get this uh, uh, statement from Shelly Finkel that they've accepted uh, Anthony Joshua's uh, offer. Um, and now the ball's in uh, Anthony Joshua's court. Anthony Joshua's uh, promoter, Eddie Hearn, responded by saying the same offer's been in their hands for four weeks. Uh, we will get them a contract, uh, and we'll see if we can get this to work. If not, it's going to have to be Povetkin first and then Wilder later. Um, the thing that makes me wonder, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, you know, I just made this statement. You know, I've been involved in the sport. I've promoted. And, and generally, when I would offer a fight to a fighter or a team, the offer was a contract. I mean, you know, I, I would send a contract and I would say, you know, this is the fight. This is the offer. This is the stipulation, you know, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And the fighter either accepts or they, re- they return it, and they say, well, we like this part of the contract, but we don't like this. If you change this to this, then we'll sign. And then you make a modification or two, and you send it back, and, and basically you're going back and forth. What we're supposed to believe here is that they're negotiating without anything on paper, and now, once again, through social media uh, and the media, we're getting, he's accepted, now send us a contract, which uh, that kind of threw me off. I, I don't know if many people, uh, you know, caught that, but I'm saying to myself, well, what, what's the difference between an offer and a contract? Isn't it the same? Why wouldn't you sign the offer sheet and then get the, you know, the, the normal stuff together? Why are we even waiting for the magical contract to be sent? What's your thoughts? Well, that's because, that's because they, they want to leave it all open. Uh, what, what, what you have, in essence, is still no fight at this point, okay? Now, what, what you described how you did it was the above-board way of doing it. But right now, as we speak, if there are no signed contracts, if the stipulations have not been agreed upon, they're still in the discussion phase. You know, this is all window dressing right now. Nothing is solid until the contract's 
assigned. Uh, we had a similar situation uh, going, uh, not quite the same, but, you know, there was a proposed fight to take place at the, uh, at the uh, you know, the opening, the uh, revel here in Atlantic City with um, the kid Bryant uh, Jennings from Philadelphia and uh, one of the heavy other heavyweights. They were supposed to be fighting for one of the minor titles. And um, Parker. they never really had the contract signed. They had already booked the site, the date. They were advertising the fight. But there were no signed contracts. And now that fight has fallen apart, okay? Um, the opponent has chosen to fight someone else, okay? And, and, and that's where we are. So the same thing is happening right here. Until there is a signed contract on both sides, there is no agreement, Billy. Simple hey, as that. And from a commissioner's point of view, and, and I've, I've never promoted a fight in New Jersey, but New York is, is pretty strict, and I've promoted it in the state of New York. I was never allowed, and, and quite honestly, even with some of the less strict uh, states that I promoted in, I was oh, not— I, I wasn't allowed to promote the fight until I produced contracts to the commission. You know, once right. the once the commission had the contract signed, then I was allowed. I, in New York, you're not even allowed to you're not even allowed to put a press release out until until the contracts are signed. So you know, uh, you know, shame on on whoever was you know getting getting the fanfare out before contracts were signed. Isn't that the way it is in Jersey? Absolutely, I've, I'm all the time. Um, Mark Abrams, who is a um, pretty busy guy, uh, publicist type, who sends out a lot of information, you know. He's like the new information guy out there with boxing. And he sends out information from everywhere. Fights coming up, who's doing what. And I have had to, on many occasions, send an uh, email, send a letter, make a phone call. Hey, I see where you're advertising this fight or that fight or this event or that event. We don't know anything about that, okay? So what you're saying is absolutely correct. You're not supposed to be uh, advertising an event or anything, any bouts and all that stuff until the contracts are signed. You know what I did? You know what I did? I just, in New Jersey, what we, not I, what we, we just implemented a, 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 reminder, a policy, or whatever, that promoters have been taken for granted for many, many years. You really don't even have a show when, when, the, when the commission comes to the weigh-in. If you do not have the signed contracts, the commission <clears throat> is really powerless. If all of the fighters are in the hotel, and for some strange reason they decide we're not going to the weigh-in or whatever. We're not going to do it. The commission has no, is not empowered to take any disciplinary action on those fighters unless you have signed contracts in your head. And I say that because oftentimes we would get to a weigh-in and we're spending all, all, all this amount of time waiting for the promoters Get over, get a hold of the fighter. We got to sign the contract. Well, you really didn't even have a fight yet. You really didn't even have a fight yet. And my philosophy is this, is that the weigh-in is strictly for coming in, weighing the fighters, and going home. 
It should take no longer than 20 minutes for a weigh-in. We don't do any paperwork. We don't sign any contracts. All of that stuff should be done by a previous deadline date. That's the way it's done in New Jersey. And so you're absolutely right. You know, there should be no advertisement. There should no, be, be no mindset that this event is taking place until the contracts are signed. And, you know, by doing so, it actually protects the fighters, the promoters, the commission, and, and it makes sense. And, and you're right. You know, with the advent of, of the Internet and how instant, uh, you know, news spreads around now, I mean, we all talk about it. You know, years ago, uh, we all waited for the newest issue of Ring Magazine to see who was where the standings were and read up on the fights that took place outside or whatever we could see locally. You know, that's all. Th- those days are gone. You know, magazines, even newspapers are becoming uh, something of the past. You know, somebody says something and seconds later, uh, the world knows about it. You know, so, um, you know, it's no different when you're trying to promote a fight. And that fight that you were talking about, uh, shame on Dan Raphael. Because Dan Raphael, who I personally don't particularly care for because I don't think that he knows anything about boxing, really. I, I just think he's a, he's a very good writer. And the credit I'm going to give him is normally... He's a thorough writer. This is a guy who, uh, you know, will uncover the specifics of a contract and and fights and et cetera, et cetera. Never technically, uh, you'll never hear anything technical about a fight from him, but but factual stuff, he's usually dead on. And he was the one that reported the uh, Bryant, uh, Joseph Parker fight and then, you know, made it sound like it wasn't his fault. Again, you know, just another person not holding himself accountable when really he jumped the gun on that one. You know, he should have normally the guy never does. I think that was really, in all honesty, to give credit what credit's due, I think that was the first time I ever recall uh, him uh, putting out a, 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 a story that was not 100% true. So, uh, uh, and then the very next day you hear that, uh, the you know the other fight Joseph Parker uh, fighting uh, uh, the other kid from England uh, yeah. you know instead you know so uh, it is what it is but uh, you know I, this this negotiating through social media um, I, you know it, it's you know I hate to use the term because it's used so much but it's it's fake news and they're taking advantage of it. And it's unfortunate because there's a generation or two, maybe three, of fans that buy into this, Larry. So now you're battling, you know, you're you're in a lose-lose situation, it seems, you know? Yeah, and, and it only adds to the whole stigma of unprofessionalism in our sport. It's just unprofessional to do it. That's the way I look at it. You know, it's not only fake news, but it's, it's, it's just an unprofessional practice. And uh, we, we just have to cut it out. The guys, they have to stop that because you're misleading the public, you know, and you're disappointing a lot of fans who will be looking forward to events that really are not even going to happen. You know, one of the uh, last things I want to uh, mention about this particular fight before we move on is, you know, Eddie Hearn made a statement like, well, you know, they waited four weeks before they agreed to our terms. You know, now we'll get the contract, etc. But we don't know if we have enough time to put this together for, for September time frame or even October uh, for a fight of this magnitude. It takes uh, more time. And I'm saying to myself, no, 
I don't think it does. Maybe a fight, and I used the one for this weekend with Errol Spence, maybe they should have taken more time to promote that fight because no one thinks it's going to be competitive. But a fight like this between, you know, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, the two top heavyweights in the world, in the heavyweight division, a fight that the fans have been clamoring for for well over a year, um, I don't think it's going to be hard to sell it. I think it's a matter of, when is it and where is it? We're there. You know what I mean? And, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I I mean, to suggest and to try to, you know, start the, the ball rolling with, well, geez, it's going to take us three months to put this together. I, I don't see it, especially if the contracts are agreed. You know, you would think that the other ducks would be lined up, you know. So what's oh. your thoughts on that? Well, it makes me think that there's still some some doubt on, on Hearns' end where he wants to still – dilly-dally around with this situation because like you say this is a ready-made fight man you know this is not going to take any hype everybody's just waiting for the date the time and the place that's all that is so to me that's all bullshit about oh this is going to take um some time to put that that fight has already been put together this is the most um anticipated uh fight that i've uh, seen in the heavyweight division in a lot of years now. This is the fight that the fans want to see. Those types of fights don't take a lot of um, uh, publicity, so to speak. Okay, certainly you have to put the nuts and bolts, but the nuts and bolts that you got to put together is accommodating uh, the hundreds of thousands of people that are going to try to, you know, get to see the fight. That's about all of that. Right. As far as promoting the event itself, that's all BS, man. Yeah. Come on. No, and, and you know, the, the, the beauty of this particular fight, which makes it even easier, is we know somebody's getting knocked out. I mean, you know, uh, we know death and taxes are guaranteed, right? But I, I would be shocked if a fight between these two guys goes the distance, you know? So what that means to me, you know, when I put my promoter hat on is I got a rematch someday, you know? So regardless of who wins... You know, a knockout, especially in a heavyweight division, just means that one guy caught the other one before he caught him. You know, so uh, it definitely justifies a, a rematch. The only time it wouldn't is if we end up with a, an anticlimactic fight like Pacquiao Mayweather. You know, and that's and, and I would be shocked if that happened with these two guys. But uh, the other fight that I wanted to talk about, the other news uh, last week. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya said the train left the station. The train left the station. No, no more, no more Triple G Canelo. Well, apparently the train had some, uh, you know, uh, problems, uh, mechanical issues, because apparently it did not leave the station, and uh, they gave a uh, a final final offer that has to be uh, accepted by noon today Pacific time or 3 p.m. our time, uh, and the new split. Which is I gotta be honest, it's the first time it's the first time I ever heard a split like this. But fifty-seven and a half percent goes to Canelo, and forty-two and a half percent goes to Triple G. Now, if you remember, Triple G demanded fifty-fifty. Then they agreed to a fifty-five forty-five split, uh, going from a forty-five percent to a forty-two and a half percent, giving up two and a half percent. I can't see why this fight would not be made at this point. What's your thoughts? Well, I, I can't see why it wouldn't be made at this point either. But you know what, Billy? I really think that Canelo Triple G is losing steam. So they better hurry up and do something. All right? Although I still do believe that once the fight is signed and made, 
it may gather some of its momentum back. But right now, uh, the way I see it is that the longer they, they hold this thing off, the more and more steam it's going to lose because uh, I just feel like it's losing steam. And a lot of times a fight, uh, a classic matchup, especially a rematch of this caliber, okay, uh, a lot of times that happens if you hold out too long. And I'm beginning to feel that with this particular fight. The fight was hot, of course, right after the unpopular decision, of course, all of that, which in my opinion sometimes uh, is good for boxing. It's all a part of it. Um, we don't like to see unpopular decisions, but sometimes it does become a positive for when, it, when, when a rematch is made and fighters actually end up oftentimes making out even better, you know, making more money, more popularity, all of the good stuff. But if you hold out too long with this, you know, you keep that carrot out there too long, it gets stale, and it starts to lose its flavor. And that's what I'm beginning to feel, me personally, about that fight. You know, so they better hurry up, and whatever they're going to do, whatever percentages it's going to be, they better hurry up and put it together before it just loses its steam. I think that is, I agree with you 100%, and I, th I think it's actually the case with with both of these big fights. Uh, you know, I hear that all the time. You know, people, they don't care. You know, forget it. I, you know, and, and the dragging out is what turns people off. The, the biggest thing that bothers me with this whole Triple G Canelo thing really is the same thing that's bothered me from day one. I am just really disturbed that Team Canelo, and I'm saying Team Canelo because it's all of them, have, in a <laughs> sense, in, in, in a sense, successfully turned the tables and made Triple G the villain here. You know, when Canelo clearly was was the guy that, that caused the delay. And, you know, I, like for an example, Eric Gomez said, and I quote, this is final. We've been through everything. We've been through the hoops, the monkey bars, the slides. No more playing games. He's got until noon today, meaning today, uh, to walk away. If he does, good luck to him. I, I just, I don't understand how... Anybody, let alone a fighter with the uh, you know public uh, appeal that Canelo has, can get away with being the villain and turning the tables to the other guy to become the villain and be successful at it when he was the guy that caused it all himself. Again, not holding himself accountable, blaming the tainted beef. Well, and, and a lot of that too, it's um, the norm of society now, you know, it's always the other guy's fault. It's what I call the old sidetrack bullshit, you know, which I refuse to engage in myself. Oftentimes, when, you, when it's clearly the other person's fault, when the other person gets caught with their hands in the cookie jar, when, when the wrong is done by the other, other person, there's this tendency to not be accountable for what you've done, not to apologize, not to do all of the right stuff, but blame the other person. Blame society. You know, this is the age at which we live, and everybody buys into the bullshit. And if you got a good rap, you know, if you know how to really rap, you know, you can turn the tide. And that's what, uh, that's what uh, uh, they, they've done. 
that's what Oscar and his team has done. They have turned the tide. Everybody's forgotten that it was Triple G who ate the beef. Okay, who it was Triple G? No, no, Canelo. Came, not Can- Triple G. I'm sorry. Yeah. That it was Canelo who ate the beef. That it was Canelo who came up dirty. Okay. Um, that it was also a fight at which everybody thought that Triple G won. Most people. Okay. They have successfully turned the tide. So you know these guys are good at what they do, and and that's what has happened. You know, me personally. I think that Triple G should tell them all where to go and keep moving. That's what I say. I I, I, I would have done that a long time ago. I, I really because uh, you know contrary to what Golden Boy keeps pumping out there, I, I don't. I think the only fight for Canelo at this point, money wise, is Triple G. Same for Triple G. Need, but, that's right. He yeah. needs Triple G. Right. Right. They make it appear as though Triple G needs him. I, that's that's my whole point, you know. They, they give him credit; they're successfully turning around. Hey, my man Johnston gives uh, uh, us a super chat. He wants to give a, a shout out to you, Larry. He says, uh, "Straight talking, Larry Hazard." So, uh, uh, and that's of course uh, I can't uh, argue with that. That's that's why we love having you on. Um, let's talk about the fights from last week, uh, real quick. First and foremost, I don't know about you, my man. But Terrence Crawford, uh, you know, I, this kid, this kid's a real deal. I mean, uh, you know, I have a hard time, you know, with this whole pound for pound rating. You know, I have a hard time distinguishing the number one. It's either Terrence Crawford or Vasily Lomachenko, and I'm okay with having it a tie because, you know, both these guys are good. Terrence Crawford, in my opinion, he does it all, man. I mean, you know, he's hard to hit. He's got a mean streak in the ring. He engages. He finishes. I mean, this guy, the worst thing about this fight, in my opinion, Larry, was the fact that Bob Arum put it on ESPN+. Plus. I think that that was a, was a, a, a terrible thing to do to Terrence Crawford because Terrence Crawford is the type of fighter who needs uh, as many eyes, sets of eyes on him as possible. By putting it on a new source like ESPN+, Plus, even though it's ESPN, it still is a new uh, streaming service, and I don't think that the numbers uh, uh, were justifiable for Crawford. I think on a regular cable network, he would have he kicked some butt, and uh, not only that, it would have created more value for Crawford. I almost want to say, and I already said it earlier this week, that... Bob Arum is, is is keeping Terrence Crawford's value from going up. And 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 I'm if I'm Terrence Crawford, I got a problem with that. What's your thoughts on that and of course his performance? Well you stole you stole my line there because I, I was hoping we, we talked about that. This I'm like, what the hell is this uh, ESPN plus the, you know, how do you put Terrence Crawford on something like that? And as far as Terrence Crawford is concerned, okay. Pound for pound, there's the man. You know how I feel about Sugar Ray Leonard, man. But this guy is the second coming. Hey, Ray, you still my man, bro, but hey, you got to move over a little bit, man, because <laughs> this guy is coming. Yeah. And every chance, every chance that he can get, this guy should be seen on national television, um, pay-per-view or whatever, okay? Because uh, Terrence Crawford... Now, I saw where Aram is promised that if he wants to fight three or four times a year, they got the dates and all of that. Well, hey, man, get them dates because this guy, with the type of performances he's turning in and with the skill set that he's got, hey, listen, man, 
this is the, uh, in many ways, man, I see this guy like, almost like Ali when he was coming. Because this guy, this Terrence Crawford, man, he is head and shoulders above everybody else, including, in my opinion, Lomachenko. This guy is number one. And now they better move over up there in the welterweight division because he's getting ready to take that over, you know. And so I think, too, I don't know, Bob, whether it's age or whether you have some other plan, but I think that you're doing him a disservice by putting him on uh, new upstart networks and all. Oh, but, but I don't know. You know, Aram's been a genius at promoting for many, many years. But, hey, I want to see Crawford as much as I could see him, you know, because this guy is a fantastic fighter. Believe me. Well, I think, I think the theory was that, that the people that, you know, love him are going to subscribe to see him. The problem is he's not a household name like he should be. And, you know, the only blame you put on fighters of his talent level, because obviously his performance, all you got to do is watch this kid once and you fall in love with him, right? Well, it's it, lack of exposure. That well, that, that, and that falls on the promoter's shoulders, you know, and, yeah. and I'm convinced that Bob Arum is purposely preventing it, even though that he makes money from it, the demands from Crawford would be higher if the numbers were there. It's similar to, you know, Canelo and Triple G, et cetera, et cetera, you know. So I think it's a mistake. Now, as far as the money in the pocket, the direct service with eliminating the distributor, the television distributor, so ESPN and Bob Arum are making a bigger cut of the pie, uh, than they would if it was a you know standard pay per view or on a cable network, but you know I'm looking out for Terrence Crawford. You know I'm looking at a guy that you know has the ability and like you say to be one of these names in the same breath as a Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean Bob Arum actually compared him to Sugar Ray, uh, and, and and I think that the only hesitation is the lack of knowledge from people knowing about him. You know and and they're not going to find him on a you know, brand new upstart. It's like the same thing. They're talking about the possibility of putting uh, Anthony Joshua and, and Deontay Wilder on that new streaming service that we don't even have in the United States yet, that D-A-Z-N, oh. you know, which would be, that would be a stupid move, you know. But uh, anyway, Larry, I got to go. But one more question. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz against Abner Mares. Uh, I, I mean, for anybody that watched that fight and wasn't entertained, they're either really not alive or they're definitely not a boxing fan. What's your quick thoughts on that fight? Oh, that was a great fight. And you know what? It's the small incentives that also, I think, motivate fighters. Small things that you overlook, like these two guys were really fighting for, fighting for the, um, you know, who was king in L.A. You know what I mean? Right, right. And they bought into that. And they went out there and poured their hearts out, man. And that was a, that was a hell of a fight. And I think Santa Cruz, um, he he shone through. I mean, he used his height, he used his movement. You know, you could see uh, the edge that he had from round one. But I thought it was a tremendous fight, man. You know, and 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 like I said, they had the crowd behind him. You know, the buildup obviously was one of those types of buildups where these guys really came in feeling like they were fighting for something. You know, it wasn't a world title. But to them, it was possession of Los Angeles. 
you know, and that's the way they build it up. And it showed in their performance. So, I mean, that was a very entertaining fight, and I enjoyed it very much. You know, the funny thing about the, that was uh, Santa Cruz was the WBA's super uh, world featherweight champion, and Abner Maris was their regular old WBA featherweight champion, and then the okay. WBC wanted to throw their diamond belt into the mix. So, uh, you know, but you're right. I think that the the biggest uh, uh, achievement that they were looking to get was the bragging rights of uh, of L.A. And one other thing, I, I know I'm over my time here, but one other thing, you know, Leo Santa Cruz, and we've talked about this a lot. He's got that really bad habit of. Uh, uh, you know, spinning his glove, you know, going doing with his glove back and forth before he delivers a punch. You know, I, I, obviously he can't break that habit. I just feel that if he possibly could, he would be so much more effective, even though he's effective now, because he loses that split second when he's in his delivery of the punch. And then not only that, I picked up another one. He With his other hand now, he's tapping his waist. He's tapping his, like, belt line, you know. So, I mean, this guy's got a lot of hitches in, in his in his uh, delivery of, of punches, but yet he's still effective. I mean, I, there, there really is no way to break that habit at this point, don't you think, or, or is there? Well, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, somebody, they need to because you, you make a very good point in that. You know, I always look at boxing and hand speed and things of that nature. I compare them to um, the sport of track and field, sprinters. You know, the difference between uh, record-breaking um, runs of fractions of seconds, getting out of the blocks. Uh, a fraction of a second ahead of time. It's the same thing with the delivery of a punch. You take a fraction of a second off of the delivery of a punch by tapping your waistline, pulling pulling your trunks up, or some other idiosyncrasy that you have, that'll take away from your overall effectiveness eventually, especially as time goes on. You know, as you age and everything else, you're only contributing to what's going to happen naturally anyway, making it worse. So you're right. Somebody should try to uh, help him to eliminate some of these quirks, and he'll even be a better fighter. Yeah, but then again, somebody might be saying, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's doing well, you know, so who knows? Well, that's true. That's true, but you got to always be looking for improvement. So in baseball, you know, in, in, in baseball, a lot of times you'll see a young hitter develop a, what they call a hitch in their swing, you know, and, and it's a timing mechanism and it's great till you get to a certain level where right. that's like exactly the analogy you gave that, that fraction of a second is the difference, you know, and, uh, and, and you're right, you know, not that he hasn't faced top notch opposition, but, you know, you, you get into a fight with a quality fighter, not that he's going to, you know, obviously the weight class is different, but a guy like a Terrence Crawford or a Lomachenko-level guy, and that fraction of a second is going gonna, is gonna to haunt you, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, Larry, uh, great chatting again, and uh, we look forward to next week, brother. Okay, Billy, same here. All right, take care. Okay. That's, uh, as Johnston said, straight talking Larry Hazard. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, this week's Blast from the Past will feature newly inducted Hall of Famer uh, Vitali or Vitaly. Uh, Alex will correct me on that. Uh, Klitschko. So don't go anywhere. Billy Z will be right back. Part of the Billy Z Boxing Network. Check out BillyZBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. 
That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an Excellence in Broadcasting Award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. By morning. It's talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Um, it's that time again for uh, our uh, longest-running and fan-favorite uh, segment, our Blast from the Past. This week's Blast from the Past is being brought to us in part by KOFantasyBoxing.com. Check it out, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Join today and, of course, uh, being brought to us in part by the Title Bout Championship Computer Game. Download your copy right now. Visit our website, BillyCBoxing.com, and uh, click the... Uh, uh, banner right now and joining us to tell us all about this week's blast from the past who's a newly uh, inducted uh, 2018 boxing hall of famer um, the paramedics are, are done working on him because you see what you guys don't know is in between uh, commercial breaks um, while the commercials being played we don't hear it in our headsets okay so when when the you know uh, come back from break music plays it bam it hits us really loud and uh, i got to watch uh, alex jump uh thank god you lived through this one alex i was like uh, you know i could tell i could tell it was like it, I, I, you should see the look on sal's face most of the time but i've never noticed it with you so thank god you survived it but uh anyway what's up my man yeah, it's a little startling yeah. to go through silence. <laughs> I, bang, I know. I know. Vitaly, Vitaly, how do you say it? Um, I think it is Vitaly. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I've always I, I'm pretty sure it's Vitaly. I, I think that's what they've always kind of come back to. So the guys that don't have pronounced names always call it Vitaly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Vitaly Klitschko, tell us about this guy. Italy Klitschko, yeah, the roof uh, construction is uh, over. I'm real sorry about that last week. I knew I knew it was coming, but if, I didn't realize that it was going to be Wednesday morning that they're on my roof. Um, but yeah, Vitaly uh, Klitschko was born July 19th, 1971. Uh, at the time, uh, it was back in the uh, Soviet Union. Uh, he was born behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, it was what was now it, in what is now uh, Kyrgyzstan. Uh, his father was in the military, um, so they moved around a lot. Um, he was like, a, you know, uh, a Soviet era equivalent to an army brat. Um, when Vitaly was six, uh, he had to take care of Vladimir. Um, and his little brother basically followed him everywhere while their mother went to work. And um, Vladimir was born March 25th, 1976. So Vitaly is uh, not quite five years older than him. He's four years and eight months older. So his parents told uh, Vitaly to look after his younger brother, and they have yet to tell him to stop. Um, so I guess he's taken that on. Uh, and of course, you know, um, their their uh, friendship um, is very deep. Uh, you know, as a lot of brothers are not all. Not all, of course, but um, as brothers go, you know, usually, uh, you know, they're either uh, real close or hate each other's guts. Um, but these guys, uh, they're very close. 
their father, like I said, was a military man. He believed in discipline. Uh, so Vitali, you know, is um, walking around at six years old, caring for a one-year-old, and uh, they learned responsibility right away. Uh, they lived in garrison housing um, on or nearby military bases all their lives. They lived in um, Prague in uh, Czechoslovakia, which is now the Czech Republic. And um, then they eventually moved to Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine. Um, like I said, he was born in Kyrgyzstan, but they're Ukrainian um, in terms of their nationality. Um, and they lived in a little place in uh, the garrison housing there in uh, in Kiev. They lived in, in you know, pretty uh, humble um, beginnings there. They lived five people to a one-room apartment. They had the shower was down the hall and the toilet was actually outside the building. Uh, but it was in that little uh, humble living space that uh, Vitali first um, strapped on the gloves when he was like 15 or 16 years old in the hallway. And he said, come on, uh, Vladimir, I'm going to show you how to box. And Vlad was like 10 or 11. And uh, so that's, you know, kind of where they started. Um, they, you know, he did cause a little bit of trouble with the other uh, army kids. Um, they uh, cause, you know, there was bloody noses. And uh, they one thing they used to do, Billy C, that I thought was a little interesting is uh, they would steal live ammunition and like hide it in their house and stuff. Um, and uh, that sounds like a potentially dangerous uh, little uh little fun little thing for young men uh adolescents to get into let's hide uh, mines around the house yes yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i mean some kids play with gi joes they played with uh live mines and grenades right but uh um oh the oh those little ukrainian slash russian boys they're just having some fun but um you know when i think of vitaly klitschko I, you know I, you, you look at you have to put in perspective because if somebody just looks down the names of his resume, you have a tendency to think of these guys after their careers were over, so to speak. But guys like Vaughn Bean and Larry Donald and, and Kirk Johnson and Corey Sanders and even Danny Williams, uh, Samuel Peter, Chris Ariola, all fought Klitschko in their primes and if you go back and take a look at when they fought them their records etc etc these were uh, you know legitimate guys at the time now you know when you fast forward and you see these same names popping up over the last handful of years you know they were at the end of the career and you may not give the credit where credit was due with with uh you know the time that uh klitschko uh, you know vitally klitschko fought them and, you know, the one thing that I can't follow, you know, you, you can follow the whole rise and fall of Klitschko winning a title, then losing it. Uh, the Lennox Lewis fight, with the, which was a famous fight. I'll never forget the cut on it, on his cheek, you know, that, that uh, which caused him to uh, not be able to continue. Um, you know, then his his uh, uh, what absence from the ring for almost four years. But he was re regarded as the champion in recess and came back out of retirement and beat Sam Peter, who everyone thought was going to beat him. I mean, talk about ups and downs in his career. But the one thing I can't follow, and, and the only reason why I bring him up is because I happen to have promoted his first fight uh, back, and that was Oleg Moskayev. Because Oleg Moskayev fought under one of, uh, as the main event on one of my cards, and then he eventually became the WBC champion. 
And he fought on my card, uh, I believe, in 2002 or something like that, around that time. And then the closest WBC champion uh, was uh, was Lennox Lewis when he fought on that uh, in 2003. Do you remember when he picked up that that title and who he lost it to? Did did Moskev lose it to Lennox Lewis? I don't remember him fighting Lewis. Uh, no, I think it might have. This was also the era where Hasim Rahman and James Tony were in there, uh, and I think that might have been because that's how Sam Peter ended up with um, with a chunk of the title. Uh, the W. Well, actually, I'm not sure if he had the title or if it was considered an eliminator. Let me double check. No, that. he had to. He was the champion. Samuel he was Peter, the champion. Yeah, but when, um, what it was was uh, that was returned. Yeah, right. Because because what it was was that the WBC said that they labeled uh, Vitaly Klitschko as a champion in recess. He had some right. injuries and and he was given a fast track to whoever was the champion when and if he decided to come back. Four years go by, almost four years, and he got a fast track to Samuel Peter and then started his, his uh, you know, last reign as a champ. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that's what I think is, is kind of interesting about him. Injuries do sort of punctuate um, his career. Um, but that was one of the things that I thought was interesting was that um, – uh, Vitaly was the one who things came more naturally to Vladimir. He was the one who was more athletic. One of his early trainers said that um, it was like uh, Vladimir was made out of clay and Vitaly was made out of stone. Everything that you had to do with Vitaly took a little more work. But once it was once he got it, he really got it. Whereas um, Vladimir was easier to mold. Um but the so the early trainers that Vitaly had said that he was awkward, but they were both very athletic kids. They were into Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris at the time. Uh, we're talking the '80s. Um, kickboxing was banned in the Soviet Union, and one of the things that had a major impact on both their on both Klitschko's lives, the whole family really, um, was the Chernobyl accident in April of 1986. The Chernobyl nuclear reactor had a uh, massive accident over two two days there was a steam explosion and then a nuclear fire in the reactor and their father who was part of the military was part of the cleanup um he ended up um getting cancer for his efforts and he's no longer with us um many of the people that were part of the cleanup uh did not survive because of their radiation exposure but um the klitschko home that little garrison apartment was very close to Chernobyl. There, it was actually in the flight path of the choppers that were bringing, that were pouring lead, just like they do with forest fires. Uh, they were pour lead onto the reactor fire in hopes of, you know, quelching the radiation. Um, and then it got to the point after a couple of weeks, the authorities were like, "Yeah, this is a worse accident than we said. Let's bust the children out of here." So they actually. Thousands of the kids in Kiev were uh, evacuated. And uh, it was at around that time, actually, in November of 1986, where Vitaly, and this is the reason I bring this up, because he brought this up, actually, at his induction speech this weekend. Uh, in November of 1986, he, along with a bunch of friends, sat there in their living room and watched a the youngest man ever win the WBC heavyweight title from Trevor Burbick. That guy was Mike Tyson. And uh, 
Vitaly made a pledge right there in the room with his friends that he was going to one day be that uh, hold up that green belt. And his friends thought he was nuts and they made fun of him quite a bit. But uh, yeah, so he had got that. Was how he wait a second. Him. Wait a second. I got to ask you the hell we'll kind of friends. What kind of friends did he have that were able to make fun of him? I mean, were they? Well, well he were was they? only 16. I know, but time. he still had to be. At 16, he probably still was six foot something, right? Yeah, I mean, come on. He was a kickboxer. He was a 90-kilogram kickboxer. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> God, I want to know who his friends were. Jeez. You know, you hung around with a tough crowd. It was a tough crowd, I'm telling and, you. And that was the thing is they were sort of doing, like, underground kickboxing because it was illegal. But then in 89, the ban was lifted and because uh, this was the perestroika age. And, of course, 80, right around that time, the Iron Curtain came down. Uh, so a lot of things changed. Um, and soon after that, he came to America. He actually, uh, Vitaly actually came to America the first time on a kickboxing tournament. And they, he couldn't believe it. Um, it was the first time he had Coca-Cola. He wanted to drink buckets of it. Um, he brought it back for Vladimir to try it. It was like, check this out. Oh, he opened it. It was like, this is what America smells like. Uh, <laughs> That's and um, and he, he the thing that I think was most shocking was that all the things that he had heard growing up, the Cold War lies um, that he had learned about America and that even his father was part, you know, participated in telling him just weren't true. He was like, you know, Dad, what are you talking about? America's great. They're not monsters. Um, and I think that's one of the things that happens a lot of times when uh, when these when people get to travel and, and meet people in other countries that they might be told all their lives that they're enemies. You know, they find out they have a lot more in common. But I think that was um, the, the reason why he didn't because he wasn't pretty successful, eventually switched to boxing and he was a pretty successful amateur. He was on the Ukrainian team and he tested positive for steroids. And that's why he didn't go to the 96 Olympics. Uh, his there was they said, well, where could we find a super heavyweight substitute? How about one that looks like him? That's related to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is uh, yeah, he he admitted going turning to steroids. Well, that stemmed all the way back from like you mentioned earlier from the injuries he sustained in. Uh, in kickboxing, and you know, in the, in their country, the steroids uh, uh, was a, was a quick fix. Unfortunately, the Olympic committees uh, thought otherwise. Um, Klitschko's style, uh, just to reiterate what you said, uh, Klitschko's style. If you were able to take Vitaly's uh, style and merge it with with Vladimir's, you would end up with a heavyweight that is pretty downright scary. Um, Vitaly Klitschko, unlike his brother, had a real mean streak. And, and, and I recall several fights that Vladimir was in where I thought Vitaly was going to, you know, do some damage to your opponent. He, he had a very short fuse. Ironically enough, he's involved in politics now, but very short fuse <laughs> and, had, and had a mean streak, unlike his brother who seemed to fight tentative. Um, Vitaly didn't. He was more of an aggressive fighter, and, uh, you know, I think that the injuries are a telltale of his aggression. You know, when you're that big and you move forward as quickly and as, uh, as often as he did, uh, something has to give. When two, you know, it's, it's just a, a matter of mathematics, you know, two forces are coming at each other that hard, um, and uh, uh, Vitaly, uh, his body couldn't take it. And I think uh, he knew, even though he left, 
uh, and didn't think he was going to come back and did come back. And one of my guys uh, watching, my man James, uh, set me straight here. He said that uh, uh, Oleg Moskayev beat Rockman for the title, and then Rockman lost to Sam Peter, who Vitaly Klitschko ended up beating when he came out of retirement. So that's how that time frame, because I was looking, when I was looking at uh, Klitschko's uh, uh, record and his time frame, I was like, wait a minute. You know, I had uh, Moskayev's first fight back, and that was several fights before he got a world title shot. So, um, but any of it. I don't think, I don't think actually that Sam Peter lost to, um, that was the thing that was kind of weird about this era is that, um, James Tony was in there because remember James Tony and Rockman their first fight was a pretty entertaining draw but then the next fight ended up being called a no contest but I think in that process somehow it was James Tony that ended up fighting with um Sam Peter for the uh the WBC eliminator and then Sam Peter came out there so Sam Peter never I don't see that Sam Peter ever fought Haseem Rachman but you're right the the title went through Rachman and that was one of the things is that it was in training for Rachman that Vitaly had the the final injury that well the injury that ended his career in 2004 cuz no Moskayev beat Rachman then right. Peter then Peter beat As Moskayev. That's when Sam Peter won the title. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. Yes. Yes. So Sam Peter. Yeah. Because Moskayev beat. um, Right. After uh, Tony and Rachman drew, then Moskayev had the rematch with Rachman. Okay. So that's how Sam. Yes. Sam Peter never had a win over Rachman. Right. Yeah. It was sort of weird. And remember, the the other thing that got Tony in there. Tony had the victory over John Ruiz, but that got called a no contest because of steroids. Exactly, exactly. Um, how did he do? Uh, how did the uh, new Hall of Famer do in the title bout? Uh, he did ex- uh, exceptionally well. Uh, one thing I did just want to throw in there um, was that that I think because for me I'm always been a little hesitant. Um, I think Vladimir is the better brother. I'm not sure I would have voted for him had I had a vote for this year's Hall of Fame. Um, but uh, the thing that's most impressive most impressive about him is that after he returned, uh, he returned, Bill, he returned at set 37 years old when he fought Sam Peter, and he has 10 straight victories. He went 10 and 0, seven of those fights are knockouts. That's from 37 years old to 41. And during that time, like you mentioned, he did fight uh, Tomas Adamek, when Adamek only had one loss on his record, and that was James Tony. He fought Chris Ariola, who was undefeated, and he fought um, Kevin Johnson, who I believe was also undefeated. So. You know, I mean, and then, and, you know, he also had the dis- unbelievable whitewash of Shannon Briggs. That was probably the most lopsided fight since Larry Holmes versus Tex Cobb. The scores of that one were actually 120 to 105 and 120 to 107 twice, and there were no knockdowns. Well, and that was Shannon Briggs when he was still, you know, that was 10 years, you know, so, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I know. And, and you know, I, the, the, the sad thing about the Hall of Fame, 
and the fact that, you know, people, uh, they're running out of people to put in it. And we still can't put our fingers on what the criteria is. However, you know, Vitaly does deserve to be in there. Um, you know, you have to look. That, that's why I made the statement earlier. You have to look at fighters at the time they fight other fighters and what the significance was at that time. You can't look at a Shannon Briggs today and and discredit the victory. I'm not saying you are, but I'm just saying people can't look at, oh, Shannon Briggs, look who he's fought in his last few fights. He's, you know, just a lunatic. And you can't have that you know, uh, uh, opinion of him when you're looking at Klitschko's resume and saying, oh, well, he just, he beat Shannon Briggs, you know, Shannon Briggs is nothing. But at that time, you know, it's the same thing with Sam Peter. Sam Peter was, you know, I, at the time people thought this was the new, the new heavyweight king, you know? And, uh, right. uh, so I, I think all of that, and it's hard to put it in perspective because like we always say, you're only as good as your last fight. That's the fight that sticks in everyone's minds, you know. So, uh, anyway, how did he do in uh, the game? So, it, in title bout, he did very well. Uh, the first time he fought, uh, I put him in against I put him in against Wilder and Joshua. First time he fought uh, Deontay Wilder, uh, he um, stops Wilder in the eleventh. It was a TKO, one minute at round eleven. He had Wilder down five times. Uh, I'm sorry, he had Wilder down three times, once in round five and two times in round 10, and he stopped him just pummeling him on his feet. When they fight 100 times, uh, Vitaly wins 96, Deontay wins only four, and Vitaly stopped him 90 times of his four victories. Deontay scored three knockouts. When they fight, when he fights Anthony Joshua, um, Joshua wins by... Uh, technical knockout in the eighth round at two minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, Vitaly was way ahead on three cards, um, and it was stopped on cuts. Um, but when they fight 100 times, Vitaly is all over Joshua. He actually does one fight better than he did against Wilder. He uh, goes 97-3 and three versus Joshua with 88 KOs. Of his three victories, Joshua scored two knockouts. Um, and one thing I did want to say is that in that uh, in his induction speech this weekend, I, I caught it on YouTube. The whole thing's up there. Um, he did say, you know, this is a fairy tale. It's not reality. And he mentioned that uh, one of the things he did is after he uh, went back to Ukraine, he um, went in and he got together with a bunch of those kids that made fun of him. And uh, he said to him, hey, check this out. And he took out the green WBC belt and said, I told you I was going to win this. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. That's that's good. That's a good story. Uh, I'm, I didn't I didn't hear that. And that's a good one. But uh, great job as usual. Uh, Alex, uh, uh, our blast from the past today, Vitaly Klitschko, new uh, Boxing Hall of Famer and, of course, uh, former uh, world heavyweight champion. And just for the record, uh, he and his brother were the first uh, brothers to simultaneously hold all of the world titles. So a uh, little bit of history there. Uh, Alex, I know I'm out of time, but real quick, um, what's your thoughts on this whole uh, saga A and B? First, uh, Anthony, Joshua, <laughs> Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. I mean, uh, you know, uh, using social media and then getting the reactions from the people. It, it's almost like trying to talk politics with someone um today i mean it, there's so it's either you're on one side or the other and it's so vicious the, the opinions and it's all speculative uh, and you know like i said to larry earlier 
in my day and the way it, it still is today, you got to have a contract. I've never heard such a thing where you're negotiating without a contract. Okay, we agree. Now send the contract. What? What? What are you agreeing to? You know, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it really it feels like it's the worst part of the whole lead up to Mayweather Pacquiao. And we're getting it for two big fights that everybody wants to see. You're getting a Canelo uh, Golovkin rematch and for uh, Wilder Joshua. And yeah, it's just annoying. Um, in the meantime, we have real good fights like we did this weekend. Unfortunately, I don't have ESPN3, and I've only seen highlights of Crawford. I'm hearing absolutely wonderful things. Um, I got to try to find uh, a whole video of that. It's, a, it's up there. But. Uh, it's, it's up. up. You can yeah. find it. Oh, oh, yeah. Do it's, you have to join ESPN three? No, I mean, no you don't. I, no, just search it on YouTube. It's there. Okay, I'll find it. All right, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we have things like that, and the Santa Cruz Morris fight was really good. We have things that are happening in the ring that are really exciting, and you have things that are happening or, or not happening around the bargaining table. But fans seem to find that more entertaining, and and I don't. Alex, real quick. I mean, don't you think? It would be advantageous to the powers that be to get a fight like this. I mean, you know, is it as clear to you as it is to me that no one gives a damn about the sport and that they really only care about, you know, their own pocketbooks, their own fight? I mean, because it, the sport needs these fights to be made. Meanwhile, all these talented fighters like Terrence Crawford uh, are being shoved on, on networks that aren't even popular yet, you know, and, and to me, that. I tell you what, if I'm Terrence Crawford, I'm not too happy with Bob Arum sticking me on there. But uh, that's another story. But don't you think that the sport deserves these fights? Yeah, I think the sport is losing for it. It's a sort of this zero-sum game where, and I think, and again, not to keep harping on this, but that's what we saw with Mayweather Pacquiao. The only person that benefited from Mayweather, well, people that benefited from Mayweather Pacquiao were the two combatants because they were able to make everyone wait long enough that their purses increased. Nobody else benefited from that. And the long-term effects for the sport, I don't think, benefited. Um, so I, it's really sad to see them using that as the business model because, uh, I don't know, to me, like you're saying, everybody loses. So why, why use that as the model? No, uh, because of the money, because of the greed factor, right. you know, because that's all they see is that look at how high the, those purses went. And, and, you know, like I always say, Sal and I are always talking about when they say it's not about the money. You know it's about the money. When they say they want, I don't want to make an excuse, but here comes the excuse. You know, I mean, you know, uh, today people just don't feel that they have to be held accountable anymore. You know, and uh, the, you, we witnessed that with the whole Triple G Canelo situation. I mean, you know, they've in a sense successfully turned this around to make Triple G the villain. I, I'm amazed at that in itself, to be honest with you. Yeah. It is pretty hard to believe, oh, but it is. But I think like both you and Larry were saying that this is not if you've been paying attention to like what goes on in in, you know, popular culture. It's not surprising to see them try to spin this and have some success doing it. That's sad. Alex, great job as usual. We'll look forward to you next week, brother. Really see you. Take care. That's Alex Papali doing a great job for all my uh, TV and radio affiliates. We will not be taking a break here. Sorry about that. Uh, I got some emails to read. Uh, first and foremost, uh, this is from my man Jesse. He says, uh, hey, Billy C., I saw the Crawford Horn fight, and Horn gave it a good effort. 
uh, stalking Crawford with bad intention punches, uh, but with not so good of a defense. I would like to see Crawford against Jose Benavidez. Uh, another name that I'm not even going to pronounce, uh, try to pronounce, uh, uh, Porter, uh, Danny uh, Winner, uh, or uh, and Horn against any top 20 to 50 fighters such as Rios, DeMarco, James, Ugas, Delorme, Granados, Vargas, uh, Roberto Arizia, Osito Lopez. Uh, maybe uh, these fighters can build off of Horn's name. Um, first and foremost, uh, Crawford's an elite fighter. Uh, so let's start to give him the props. All right. Uh, you know, I have him. Uh, you could easily put him at number one pound for pound on my list or number two behind Vasily Lomachenko. I, or have it be a tie at number one. You heard Larry Hazard earlier say that he's got Terrence Crawford number one hands down. Um, Terrence Crawford is the real deal. Uh, unfortunately, Terrence Crawford is being in a sense, mishandled and taken advantage of, I feel, by top ranking Bob Arum. You know, I, I think that this guy should be uh, put in front of uh, as many pairs of eyes as it possibly can. It would increase the value for Terrence Crawford. And for me, this guy has shown throughout the history of his career that he's not uh, afraid to fight top names. And there's a lot of good top names uh, in, uh, in the welterweight division. Specifically, if I'm Terrence Crawford, I'm looking at really only a couple of guys. I'm looking at Errol Spence Jr. and I'm looking at Keith Thurman. You know, uh, if you want to put uh, uh, Porter and and uh, Danny Garcia uh, winner in there, fine. You know, uh, but uh, those are the guys that uh, Terrence Crawford's going to uh, tangle with. Uh, those are the guys he deserves to fight. Um, end of story. I mean, there's nothing that he's got to uh, prove. He doesn't have to fight. Uh, you know, Benavidez, he doesn't fight any young, you know, there's no, this guy is not an old fighter, he's not, uh, you know, going to be uh, in and out of the welterweight division uh, quickly, this is a guy that very easily could become uh, the first uh, unified junior welterweight and then welterweight champion uh, that we've seen, so uh, no, th this guy doesn't have to prove himself to anybody, as far as Jeff Horn is concerned, Jeff Horn beat a Manny Pacquiao that was uh, past his prime and also lost his mean streak. I think Manny Pacquiao thought he won that fight after the fight should have technically have been stopped when he battered Jeff Horn uh, in that one, and, and Horn came back uh, and ended up going a distance and winning the fight. Um, no disrespect to Jeff Horn, but Jeff Horn uh, should uh, be looking to get back on the horse. It depends what route that he wants to take. He's clearly not a elite fighter. Uh, some of the names that you mentioned could be a, a good rise to the top for him again, uh, specifically Ugas, uh, Delorme, uh, Granados. I mean, those three fights uh, would be interesting for Jeff Horn to, to come and fight and win and get him back in the mix. I, I don't know. Uh, he says, how would you rate the th 635,000 viewers for Santa Cruz against Marys? Is that good? Uh, he says, now Leo against any of the champions, Gary Russell Jr., Frampton, or Valdez, uh, and Marys going up against Selby, Quiz, uh, uh, Quig, I'm sorry, or maybe uh, Josh Warrington. Uh, I agree with, uh, with all of that. Uh, as far as the 635,000 viewers for Leo uh, Santa Cruz and Abdomaris, I think that's respectable numbers. Uh, that was a, uh, a live uh, crowd type of a fight, and I think it was pretty proven. I think uh, it proved that with the uh, packed house and the 
uh, enthusiasm that we got uh, from that live audience, something that we generally don't see uh, here in the state. So uh, uh, I am uh, uh, happy that uh, that that fight took place. And uh, I'm also uh, uh, I think that those numbers are respectable. He says, what's your thoughts on Carlos uh, Bultrado against Acosta? Uh, what happened to uh, Buchago uh, once? Uh, he was a hot prospect, but seemed to be a tough opponent now to a young fighter. Will this be a good fight? I think it's going to be a good fight and a competitive fight. No disrespect to Acosta, but, um, you know, he hasn't fought a, a, a guy like uh, uh, Buchago before uh, in terms of his level of uh, experience. I think it's going to be a good fight. Acosta is a young fighter. Uh, he's a good fighter, talented fighter, and this is the type of... Uh, uh, fights that uh, normally I'd like to see before you're a title holder, but uh, whatever. He says, uh, do you like Christopher uh, Pufulo Diaz against uh, Maisuki uh, Ito? Um, this fight is a world title fight uh, for the vacated uh, title, featherweight, junior lightweight title, I'm sorry, that uh, Lomachenko uh, uh, gave up when he you know, stayed in his uh, lightweight division. It's on ESPN Plus again. Um you know, I, I think it's going to be a competitive fight, but uh, again, I, you know, this is the kind of fight that maybe they should focus on with ESPN Plus to build up the network. Uh, I, I'm really adamant about my feelings of uh, uh, Bob Arum putting Terrence Crawford on that network. Uh, thanks for the email, Jess. Uh, we got uh, uh, two uh, emails from my man Mitch. He says, uh, Billy C. Stradamus. On Monday, Billy C. says, what I want to hear by the time we come back on Wednesday is that Triple G Canelo is signed, sealed, and delivered, or I want to hear some kind of talk that uh, AJ and Deontay has resumed. Just give it to us. Don't drag it on. He says, and then, of course, we get uh, what took place today. Uh, he says, uh, so, so, Billy C., for the 17th time already this year, do you finally believe uh, that these guys listen to your show. You asked for it, and a few hours later, Deontay accepts Anthony Joshua's terms. Sal already believes me uh, when I say the guys listen to your show. Do you believe it now? Um, you know, all I could say is this. If the amount of people that say they watch and listen to my show every day, um, we would be uh, financially secure right now. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but uh, I am glad for the news. He says, uh, man, you got a big Wednesday ahead of you. Uh, you got to talk about Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. You got Shelly Finkel form forcing uh, me, meaning Mitch, to believe it's a dream by saying if Joshua doesn't like the deal, the public's really going to come down on him. They said they gave us $50 million and we'll take it the next day. They didn't. They made us an offer. They said they want to fight in the U.K. They want a rematch clause. We said okay to all of it. It'll be hard for him to face the public and not take this fight. It also sounds like he knows that there's no deal uh, and he's making A.J. the bad guy like De La Hoya made uh, Triple G. Then you have a special letter from the Ring Magazine publisher backtracking and eating his words. He's now decided to strip Saul Alvarez of the Ring uh, middleweight title. Uh, I really got to ask you this, Billy C. Way back during the early negotiations, you said Team Alvarez had to give some concessions in order to have the rematch take place. You also have been saying recently that Oscar has nowhere to turn but the rematch. There is no other opponent that will bring the money to trip to uh, to. Uh, basically he's saying bring in the money Triple G brings uh, so I got to ask you two questions do you think Oscar knows his best bet by far is to fight uh, Triple G in September 
I think so. I think that uh, it's clearly the best financial uh, rewarding fight for Canelo, uh, especially coming in after uh, he tested positive, regardless if he's not man enough to, to face the, you know, the music, uh, he tested positive. And considering that the masses believe that he lost the first fight, I, listen, you know, you can't get away with not, um, you know, uh, stepping up and, and holding yourself accountable for things uh, that were done and continue to get away with it uh, time and time again. You know, so for him to just, you know, walk away from Triple G, uh, and then, you know, come out of this so-called suspension smelling like a rose. I, I don't know. I think that uh, uh, Oscar and Canelo and Eric Gomez know that they have to get Triple G in the ring in September. I, personally, I, I, I think. I mean, let's be real. Both of these fighters really don't need to fight. I mean, uh, theoretically, they have enough money for the rest of their lives. Uh, he says, and number two, knowing this, do you think one of the concessions Triple G's team asked for was a statement to be made by uh, Ring Magazine, which is Oscar De La Hoya, that says Alvarez has been stripped? If we hear of a deal taking place in the next couple of weeks, I bet they forced Oscar's hand to have his publisher make the statement. The entire panel had voted to strip him. Then the board voted too, but his publisher said no. Now all of a sudden to recant, he says, uh, it makes me wonder. Um you know, I think maybe, you know, I hadn't heard that, to be honest with you, but I think maybe Mitch is on to something here, and I'll tell you why. I think that when the IBF stripped uh, Triple G, even after they seemingly uh, pulled a weasel deal with the uh, step-aside money or the agreement, 20000 that they uh, Team Triple G paid the IBF, and now uh, all over Deverenchenko, who exactly, um, I believe that uh, that there was something that uh, that had to be given back. I, I think that that even uh, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy knows that uh, Triple G. Not that they care, but they know that Triple G was uh, was you know uh, mis mistreated with the IBF. Now, with that said, I, I wasn't I would have been more surprised if you know they don't sign with Triple G. And they go for Daniel Jacobs instead of Deverenchenko. I would be shocked if uh, Canelo didn't go after Deverenchenko so he could get a title. You know, that changes the, the whole landscape again of the middleweight division. Right now, Canelo has a name. He doesn't have a belt. And not that, you know, the belts mean anything anymore, but he doesn't have one. So, anyway, uh, thanks for the emails, uh, Mitch and Jesse and Johnston and all you guys, I appreciate the interaction. And remember, if you take the time uh, to write us an email, we'll take the time to read it. Um, the uh, the trivia the question today, if we get the first one, the first answer uh, correct, email to me, Billy at TalkinBoxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. You'll win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. Same game that Alex Papali just used for our Blast from the Past with Vitaly Klitschko. The question is, uh, what is the biggest height difference between two men in the same division fighting for a title, excluding heavyweights? If we don't get a winner by the next show, which incidentally is Friday, um, I will uh, give you a new one because uh, there's really no hint I can give here. 
um, that wouldn't just give it away. So excluding heavyweights, what was the biggest height difference between two guys in the same division fighting for a world title? If you're the first one to email me correctly, Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. You'll win the prize. And I just made a mis- mistake. There's no show on Friday. Uh, our next show is tomorrow. That'll be the last one for the week. I uh, reversed. I, I was a little dyslexic there, so we'll see you tomorrow. But uh, anyway, on this day in boxing history, June 13th, 1935, um, James Braddock wins a 15-round decision over Max Baer to win the world heavyweight title to place in Long Island City, New York. On this day in 1997, Darius Mitchell wins a 12-round decision over Virgil Hill to win the IBF and WBA World Light Heavyweight titles that took place in Germany. And finally, on this day in 1992, Joey Gamash knocks out Chil Sung Chung in the eighth round to win the vacant uh, WBA World Lightweight title that took place in Portland, Maine on this day in uh, 1992. Hey, boys and girls, that concludes our show for today. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.